Steve, I, I don't have any. I don't have really anything exciting to tell you. But hi, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm great. Um, I'm great because we had just had a wonderful com- conversation with Rob Beer Temple of the Athletic, who covers the Pittsburgh Pirates. That will be the gist of today's show. But we do have some Penn State topics to get to. Um, but first, we have to say what the, what the name of the show is, which is the Stuff Summer Says podcast with Steve. With Steve. Um, we're going to talk about some news that you might have heard of related to Penn State basketball. Um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we will talk very quickly probably about Penn State hockey. And then I think we might also redirect something into that Penn State basketball conversation. Um, anything else? In old guy, no, guy? I can't wait. Sounds like you're baking and spicing something up all together. Uh, I can't yes. wait for this jambalaya to come out. This is great. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, just maybe, we will have a video this week. I think Ooh. I figured out how to do it. Um, I'm glad paid. I guessed for it. Steve, yeah, Good Steve. Lord shit, Jesus. You look great, Steve. Steve yeah. paid, I gave Steve a whole zero dollars on his uh, hair and makeup. And he budget. spent it all. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. All in the same place. Um, Hey, you know what? When you bought that sweatshirt, it was probably like 20 cents. So that's... Back in the day. It's back old. in the day. Well, it's not older than you, but it's old. Uh, I was going to say, it's pretty old. <laughs> um. Anyway, speaking of something that's old by now that you're listening to it, Penn State doesn't have a basketball coach right now, so that's fun. Um, I don't know where to begin. I'm I'm generally surprised that Michael Shrewsbury left. I think it boiled down to two things. I think number one, the gravity of going home was was big for him. I think that that played maybe was. 55%. And I think 45% was the NIL stuff. And I, I wrote about that on the blog, um, which is a shameless plug that you can go check out. But I, I ultimately think that that is where this whole thing broke down. Um, and it reared its ugly head kind of right at this time when it is, is going to reset the basketball program um, point blank for what it is. Now, spinning it forward a little bit, I I do think the groundwork is now there for you to be able to succeed at Penn state uh, and do it very quickly. Like, I think that has been what, what has, we've seen, it took Micah Shrewsbury two years. And I think the big reason why is this current environment of transfers is coming in. You look at a a Jalen Pickett, you know, you look at some of the other guys on the roster this year that were key guys. And I think that ultimately really changed this program for the better. To me, I don't know. I I think I need to see how this all plays out. I I think it's frustrating from my standpoint because I think there's never been a time where more people, more average Joes have cared about Penn State sports or excuse me, Penn State basketball than than ever. And it went from exciting to angry, but in my mind, at least it's not apathy if that makes sense. And I think that was what we had for the last nine or 10 years um, or so. So that's about where I'm at on it. Um, it seems like Mike Rhodes is the, the leading candidate. Um, I'm not a basketball mind by any means. I just like watching basketball. If they have more points than the other team, that's great. And I know that means it's a good thing. Um, that being said, I, some people seem a little disappointed with him. I, I don't know. I don't think you're going to, I don't think there's anybody that that Pat Craft can go get that 
that can kind of bring up your spirits as much as Biker Shrewsbury had your spirits up for. Well, I think that's, that's a good summary. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to come in and be perceived as an immediate upgrade. I just don't know who that that person would be. But whoever the person is has a challenge to do it in two years, right? I mean, because that bar has been set. And that's serious. That's that's that means that the job comes with expectations, which I'm not sure it has in the past. Mm-mm. It was like, oh, here's the next guy. Oh, we're going to do this. And this is the process. A couple of years, got to get his guys. The whole transfer, NIL, all that stuff has changed the game. Penn State should be able to compete in that way. And apparently... I mean, I do believe it was a going home thing for Shrewsbury from all that's come out, and that's that's great. But financially, it sounds like Penn State was willing to make a, a, a comparable um, investment, right? Something that was worth thinking about hard. So they're going to invest in the next coach, you would think. Um, so yeah, I, I don't I don't know that there's anybody out there. I think the Texas guy was never coming here. I mean, I was in, intrigued that you know his name was in the mix, but he's been an assistant at Texas forever. Yeah. He's going to get that gig. Um, I don't know if it'll be Rhodes or who it is, but whoever it is needs to be probably sooner rather than later to try to re-recruit who's here and get some people in and and get ready to keep rolling. It's weird because it doesn't feel like Penn State is starting that much all over again because I think we maybe just did this whole process not that long ago. Um, But uh, I think the NIL thing has has really bothered me more and more. And I think as I did some of the like research and looking at the NIL, which mainly is success with honor, that's the cornerstone NIL at Penn state and realizing how much schools like Michigan and, and Ohio state and even Notre Dame were just lapping around Penn state on, on the competition. It, it, it comes very clear that this is a problem and it needs to be fixed. And I think you had said it earlier on last week's episode, you know, Pat Kraft's number one responsibility will be figuring out NIL and number two will be, you know, what he does with the basketball coach. If we moon is probably all said and done looking back at his career. And apparently he's not been doing it, at least in my opinion, a good enough job because I, I really think that, I don't think the average Penn Stater, and that's the way I, I try to approach this podcast, the blog, anything, that, any conversation that we have, like we are, you and I are relatively up here. We are in the upper tier of Penn Staters. We go to a lot of games. We're very, we, we know Penn Stater people. The average Penn State fan, it, when it comes down to it, goes to at most one or two Penn State football games a year, tunes into big Penn State basketball games because that's, that's what everybody else is talking about on social media, at least in my opinion. And I don't know if that average Penn Stater knows what the NIL collective is called. I don't know if they know what it is and what it does and why it's important. And I think educating the next generation or that generation or that uh, subset is, is is probably the most important issue that Penn State is facing. And, I, and not all that relies on craft. I think some of that also relies on the, the NIL. And I think that was what, what Mike Motti's tweets were about was – kind of pretty pretty harshly at, at, at Jay Paterno and I, I agreed with everything that he said. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are people who are much more invested in games and stuff than I am and know some stuff more about NIL certainly than I do. But I think one of the things with NIL that strikes me is there's a Penn State, and it makes sense, there's a Penn State mentality for success with honor, right? Like we're going to do this the right way. We're going we're gonna to make sure kids are whatever. We're going to do... I'm not sure the people you competing you're competing against with NIL stuff are concerned about that. 
They know it's pay for play just under a different name. And I think if you're going to go about it and try to say, hey, we're going to make sure everybody has a little something, we're going to do whatever, we're going to do all the sports. I'm not sure that's the approach that helps you win in football and basketball consistently or gives them the support they think they might need to compete with whatever football I doubt football probably gets what they want basketball may not and I think that's part of what you're hearing in the past week or so with the back and forth I I think the sooner we get to in the next four or five years calling all this NIL stuff what it is pay for play and setting salary cap setting a salary floor this is what a point guard's worth in the big 10 this is what the sooner we get there, the better it's going to be. Because until then, this is just now the legalized extra handshakes that they talked about in the 60s and 70s. And we're saying they're doing community service and the players are grumbling about doing community service. The, you know, it's just, it just needs to be better. Mm-hmm. And better here probably means knowing we straight up need to raise money to pay the extra stuff that, that that's the going rate in this business now. And for me, that's a little distasteful in my age group of that right like can chart off all the things they're getting but that's what that's what the rules are now i agree uh, that like i hadn't thought about that that it that way until tonight until you just said that I, I, now that you say that that just like really clicked in my head um so i i 100 percent agree with that i wanted to add that was going to be my next question to you and part of this podcast this is our age difference and i guess my question would be do you feel like it is closer to your generation that doesn't get this and, and that maybe my generation does? Like, I, I think, I guess. I don't think it's I not get it. It's just whether or not you want to support it, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. No, I mean, I, I get it. Fair. I get it. But I just don't know that there's a part of me again that I've said before, hey, I'll take seven and five, halfway decent every four years when we get the right mix, right? And, and I'm okay with that because. In my world, there's other there's other things that need me to donate money to more than more than the college athlete that I know is already going to get a scholarship, the biggest stipend in the Big Ten, and all kinds of freebies, and may or may not be going to class, right? Like, you know, but the, I I do think that's generational in some ways. I mean, I think if you're going to win, do it and win. I think the younger fans probably think that way. I think my brother, who's six years younger than me, would be like, shut up and spend some money, right? Like, you know, do that. I guess where what I was where I approach it is like very much your generation and above has the money in the Penn State ecosystem. There are not there are not a ton of as wealthy as your generation's Penn Staters at, at my age bracket because most of us are still paying off the cost to go to Penn State. Um, so I don't know. I, I was curious to hear your perspective on that because I think in my eyes that's in in my opinion, not that I think you're one of these people because you do get it. I think there are more people your age that don't get it, that don't understand why this is so important and why this is this is a bigger issue than just this basketball thing. This is a bigger issue because if this is an issue with basketball, my God, what's happening with football? And that's just going to have a trickle-down effect on everything. whether it's and and it's not just going to have a trickle down effect on like the programs themselves it's going to have a trickle down on attendance and how many season tickets are being sold and and obviously like if if penn state's not good and they're not competing then there's going to be problems and i think that's just going to impact everybody and then those people are also going to be the ones the first ones to grumble even though they can afford the for the you know i mean there's people with a lot more disposable income 
than me to be able to support that. And I think they maybe need to make athletics may need to make that case or success with honor may need to make that case to them about why it needs to be there somewhere else. But for me, it's probably more um, just a sports and, and non-sports thing. Like if I, if I have that revenue, it's probably going the United way before it goes to the college athlete, just, just because. Right. Um, but Which I did I, it. I think it's fair for someone in your financial situation our like collective financial situation we do not have i don't think you have millions upon millions of dollars unless you're hiding something from me steve let's be clear that's right that's, um that's, that's even tens of, even tens of hundreds of whatever so yes but those people those types of people can afford though that type of of i can kick a, a million dollars here and a, a million dollars to united way and a million dollars and if you like the the job needs to be better, more well done on, on. I don't, obviously I'm not like saying like don't donate to the United Way because I want you to donate to Penn State Sports. But I think there could be a better job of tapping into those types of networks, and, and maybe they're happening. But I don't know. I just don't buy the whole like Penn Staters are poor thing, or there's not a big big time donor. No, I think it's a there. There are of, Penn Staters that have a lot of money. Right. I think it's more for the older ones. It's probably just more. The mentality, right? Penn State was always not that, that the football team program was poor, that Coach Turner was underpaid or not paid, but it was always a less is more. Like we'll do with what we got. We're not going to overspend. I mean, you know, if you look at the back end, backside of football, there was stuff they weren't doing, obviously, in terms of recruiting and and analytics and and just structure stuff. They just made do with what they had, and not that they were by any means poor, but it wasn't like they were cutting edge with stuff. And I think that's kind of the sons and daughters of Pennsylvania, happy to have the education kind of thing that, that some of those older folks are. But I mean, I think that's going to change. I think it's going to turn. Uh, the The challenge is, you know, with, with the little Twitter spat is it's kind of Penn State on Penn State crime, which is just never good, right? Doesn't look good if you all aren't rowing the boat in the same direction. It was funny because I think I read, well, I didn't think I read it. I, earlier today, I read that those tweets have now been deleted. And the, the Mike Monty tweets at Jay just really just, they were like, that's my linebacker. Like that, like, like, like right. and God bless Michael Motti, who came to Penn State to just play football, and now he is basically like the the flag carrier through the scandal, the flag carrier now into this NIL stuff. Um, we're asking a lot of him, but I, I don't know. I I wonder personally, like we're not privy to these conversations. I would love to be a fly on the wall to because I guarantee there have been some nasty emails sent and some nasty sure. phone calls o- over the last week. So I, I don't know. I'm fine with them having their little beef or whatever you want to call it. I think Jay was made probably smart in not responding, but I also kind of thought the comment from Jay was a little bit out of nowhere. Like I I don't know. I think there there were better ways to go handle it. And and I think there are bigger problems, as I pointed out, like with the NIL, that NIL specifically. Um, and I guess one of the other questions I have, and then we'll we'll shut up and, and move on and we'll get to hockey and then Rob. Um, but I guess with NIL, like, do you, have you donated to it? NIL stuff? No. Yeah. Okay, I have. I've only donated a very small amount, but I have mm-hmm. just to say that because I wanted to see what it was like. Are you, do you, if you were going to donate, would you donate to a specific team or do you just want it to go all into a bucket? Like, because I think that's, that was like amongst my friends, that was a point of com- contention in this whole like 
we're all on the same page about the NIL screwed and, and mm-hmm. this needs to get figured out. But like amongst our group, it's like, why would I donate to basketball when they haven't really done that much to me? Like, no, going back to- I would, I would, yeah, I would do a specific sport rather than a, rather than a bucket. And honest, I'd be swayed. Like I have a, I have a kid in the class now who's a member of the women's soccer team who is just grounded, smart, balancing her stuff getting me homework from a camp that's held off campus during the semester that I don't have normal kids doing that. I'm impressed by that. Right. Like, and that's worth my support more than some other stuff where they may just be jocks that are there to wear my school's uniform for a couple of seasons and go on to the next thing. I'd like you to invest and want to want to be at the place as much as I wanted to be at the place. Um, And and I, so, so I'd probably be biased by that. Okay. I was just curious. I, I, I think again, going back to my point of like, when I donated, I think I donated to, I split it. Um, I split it to, to football and hockey. Um, but what I, what I was going to say is like with our, with my generation, like goes back to that point of, okay, like, again, these are the problems you're having at basketball. What kind of problems are you having with football? And football is really what people care about here. We need to get that figured out because I think that just, like that's keeping me up a little bit late at night type thing. Well, if you're a Penn State fan, you got a survey this week, probably, right? If you got tickets at any time, yeah. There's a survey out this week that asks a bunch of these questions. It's a long survey, so get a drink when you sit down with it. I haven't um, done it yet. Okay. But it asks about sponsors and, and do you recognize who certain sponsors are? And would you be swayed by a sponsor being promoted by a student athlete? And would a student athlete promoting be more or less likely for you to buy? And would do you support NIL? Like all this stuff is in there. So you get a chance to be heard, but it is it's long. Take, 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 take some snacks. Okay. Um, that's, that's all I've got about NAL. Anything want going once, going twice? No, we'll get a chance to beat it up. Okay. Again yeah, we, I'm, yeah sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> um, okay. Real quickly. And I, I, we have to talk about Penn State hockey. Um, there were people texting me. Are we going to Tampa? Are we going to Tampa? When are we going to Tampa? I'm talking to one of them right now. Um, Hope I and, wasn't the only one because I felt kind of bad about that. No, they went behind. No, I'm and not then, that kind of fan, but I was a little, you know, and then over my skis there. They they're not going to Tampa. Um, point blank, I I am very disappointed. For I, I'm not disappointed in anyone. Let me let me refer that. I am heartbroken for all of the people that put a lot of time and energy into that program behind the scenes at Dana Krause, Brian Tripp, those types of people, because they deserve something like this. And they were, Penn State was this close, this close. And to see it kind of play out that way and just, I knew that game was like, I knew waking up Sunday morning, I was going to watch Penn State play in overtime. And I knew that it probably was going to be the result of a close goal at the end of the late in the third period or it was going to end heart in a heartbreak. And I don't know, maybe that's just the Penn State hockey fan in me. Um, but I, I just, they're going to get to the frozen four. It is, it is not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And I think we're starting to see that. I think guy has finally started to figure out the roster has started to figure out the key pieces. Um, maybe is shooting the puck just a little bit less than, than normal. And I think that's, that's resulting in to a year like this. And, and, Credit to that team. I mean, that team was playing like crap for what two months now, three months now, really. January and came out on Friday night, and my God, they looked amazing. And then, really, uh, they were 
they were Luke Hughes blocking that shot late in the third period away from going to the frozen four. That is, that's really all, all it came down to, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, you know, probably could have given up one less power play. Right. And that would have been helpful, yeah. but yeah, I think they've, the game, the second game, the regional final out, something like felt like an infomercial in some ways for Penn state hockey, which is always a good thing, right. You know, just in terms of getting some people and getting in there, they were winning games and in close games, in the second half of the season, even though their record wasn't great, playing in a way that wasn't Penn State hockey. I mean, they weren't shooting as much. Not they weren't shooting as much, but they they didn't have to. They were winning with some defense. They were playing well in the defensive end at times. Um, they're an older group of guys always because of what hockey is, right? So they're generally a good program that represents the university well. Their charitable stuff this year was was really cool. The event they put together with the sled hockey team. Yeah, I think they're going to get to the Frozen Four at some point. They they started the season what unranked, picked fifth in the Big Ten, yeah. and, and they were a couple minutes away from going to the Frozen Four. You know, when they were when it when it got tied, I'm like, oh well, this was fun, right? Because you just kind of knew, you know. And then went to overtime, I'm like, ah, uh, you know. Yeah, um, everyone had that collective. And I appreciate yeah. the challenge for the too many men on the ice at the end, right? You got to. Right, you got it. If yeah. you think it's close, you got to because what if they call it and you get the goal waved off? Yeah. So I get that. Um, they were a fun watch in this, especially the last game and in, in, in the regional, just because they were playing in a way they hadn't played most of the second half of the season. Yeah. I think that break really did it did them a service. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're. I think you have overall reason to be happy. I think it was good for them to finish strong and and play well. And you know, there's no. It's not horrible to lose that Michigan team, which couldn't up, you know, playing for the national championship and maybe even win it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Brian Tripp so, is going to the Frozen Four. Oh, that's true. He is going. Well, so but it's, it's a little yeah, day, you know. Yeah, still, uh, um, but uh, I don't know. I, 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 like I said, I, I think I maybe have been a little thin patient lately on Penn State hockey, but I think a weekend like this weekend really reset those that patient i was curious me. about that for you like great because you uh, were like no they should be in the frozen four at the start of the season right you were talking they should give us my expectation and when they didn't get there but i think they played well enough to say hey okay this is good hockey. yeah i i think i think they exceeded my expectations for the year although i think i think a frozen four is still the goal for this mm-hmm. program um realistically and i think i want to see this program i guess I don't know. Maybe I'm just like so thin patient by, by what, what football has presented to us, but like, I want to see them get over the hump mainly because it's now next year is year 10 of, of Pagula being open. Right, and, right. and I think maybe as somebody that's was very tied into Penn state hockey and really tied into the hockey region and in, in, in the center part slash the entire state, like personally for me, the expectation was they were getting this new arena and this was going to be they're going to start winning national championships tomorrow. And I, I may that, mm-hmm. that that might not be realistic, might not have been realistic, but I think they're at least they aren't going downward. The the trajectory is still going upward. Um hopefully we yeah, see and I, and I, in terms of the of the the age of the program, I mean, as young as it is, and you can make the argument, you know, certainly the last couple of years, better than Wisconsin, you know. Yeah. Better well, than Ohio State, maybe better than Notre Dame. Like that's pretty good company for being as young as it is in the program. Well, and the other thing I I've said this time and time again, there are two Penn State programs, maybe three, that absolutely got derailed by COVID. The first one being 
Penn State men's lacrosse. I think that one got probably the shortest end of the stick. Um, and then Penn State football, and mo- but I think ultimately Penn State hockey. That team, that 2020 team was going, was probably going to the Frozen Four, right? And, and, and probably making some bigger waves. Um, it would have been fun to watch them do it too, yeah. yeah. I, I just think I'm bummed because we don't, I don't get to go to Tampa again, Steve. And let me explain to you. I cannot explain to you how great of a joy it is to walk into that arena wearing shorts and a hockey jersey. It is, <laughs> it is just an incredible feeling. Um, and plus, now I don't get to drink Cigar City. Well, I mean, I could go buy Cigar City, but it's not the same as drinking it there. So it feels like a first world problem, but okay. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just upset. Um, all right. Speaking of, well, speaking of, Tampa, which was going to Bradenton. The main reason we're having this podcast tonight is we have Rob Beer Temple from The Athletic joining the show. Um, we chatted about a lot of things, um, some of it about the Pirates, but not necessarily the X's and O's, more so about being a baseball reporter and covering all of that stuff. Um, it's a great listen. Um, not just saying that because uh, we recorded that podcast. It's it's a very interesting listen if, if you've never really um, it's a very good listen in the sense that it gives you an insight on what it's like to be a baseball reporter, but also gives you the insight of this is where the pirates are at and somebody that knows this team a little bit better and on what could change. So go ahead, take a listen to that. And, uh, we'll be back after this. Steve, it is spring and we have a spring related guest, I would say <laughs> on the podcast today. Rob Beer Temple of The Athletic joins us, Pittsburgh Pirates beat writer. Uh, one of my favorite Twitter follow- follows, I'd have to say, uh, maybe, mainly because he tweets about the Pirates and understands the misery that Pirates fans <laughs> go, go through, even if he yeah. covers the team. Um, Rob, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, kind of settling in for, uh, I just got back from spring training late last night, very late last night. So I'm in those couple of limbo days between the end of spring training and the start of the regular season, which means I'm doing preview stories and stuff. And, and then it's off for, you know, a whole bunch of, well, probably a whole bunch of misery, but maybe some good baseball thrown <laughs> in as well for the next five or six months. I love this. This is why this is why I subscribe to the Athletic. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, this is this is great. Um, you are also happen to be a very proud Penn Stater. I know that for a fact um, as mm-hmm. well. Um, so we'll we'll hit on that. I guess for those that maybe don't know you, that don't suffer through Pirates baseball, um, <laughs> who are you? What and kind of what is your journey to the Athletic covering the Pittsburgh Pirates? Wow. Well, I am native Pittsburgher. I uh, grew up on the north side, which explains my accent. I am Penn State class of 87, former collegianaire, along with Steve and probably everybody else who was calm at Penn State. Back then, it wasn't school communications, wasn't college communications. It was just barely a journalism department. Um, so a lot of what I learned, I, you know, I credit the collegian. <laughs> in some instances, even more than what I learned in classes, um, because that was hands-on, real-world, you know, get out there and get dirty experience. After that, went to D.C. for about eight years, worked for tiny little newspapers in Maryland, and came back to Pittsburgh in 94. Um, got a job at the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh, didn't really have an assignment, and I was going up to Penn State for the weekend uh, the Knits were playing uh, Southern Cal that weekend. 
And my boss said, hey, do you want to cover the game while you're up there? Sure. So I ended up covering the 1994 Penn State team that should have won the national championship. But instead, it went to Nebraska. But uh, that was the first Rose Bowl trip and everything. Covered the team for about a decade or so. Uh, and now up in full time with baseball for a while. Started at the Athletic. They called me out of the blue about five years ago and said, hey, you want to jump ship? And I was thinking it probably would be a good time to give it a try. So now here I am starting. Uh, I don't know. How many years have I been doing baseball? I guess I was the backup guy since 94. So 30 freaking years of baseball. A lot of it bad and here i am <laughs> uh well i have news for you rob i will be turning 30 next year and so <laughs> i have yeah. experienced every single one of those god-awful years um let me ask you a question there, there's there's mm-hmm. two questions there number one why why baseball why did you make the jump to baseball mm-hmm. um because i feel like a lot of the times most of the beat writers we talk to it's football and it stays football forever and baseball's yeah. works a lot harder of a schedule i yeah. think well, you know, when I started writing um, at the Collegian, I, I really didn't even know if I wanted to be a sports writer or whatever. Uh, I just knew I wanted to write and they had openings on sports. And so I said, all right, you know, and I went from candidate to sports writer and then really liked it because, you know, kind of cool. I mean, especially, you know, when you're, when you're covering, you know, that 90, the, my, my senior year at Penn State was 86 season, which, you know, pretty good season. Um, they went undefeated, won the national championship. I came down with mono and couldn't go to the oh Fiesta Bowl, which was brutal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so I, I, I you know, I, I, I went out with the national championship and then I started covering it at the, at the Trib and they didn't lose a game that season. So really for the first two and a half years, I covered Penn State football. I never covered a loss, which was pretty wild. But then I went into the real world and, you know, at the little papers, I did everything. I took photos. I was the editor. I was the copy editor. I was pagination. And I wrote and I did columns and it was all high schools and JUCOs with a, just a smattering of some Maryland football and some every now and then some, some you know, Orioles or, or, or whatnot. But it was mostly, you know, amateur level stuff. Got to the trip and you know, I, I had always liked baseball and this was, you know, coming right off the time when the Pirates were really good, 1991-92 with Barry Bonds and Bonilla and Dreback and Van Slyke and that whole crew. So for me, when you cover baseball, I mean, you really, it's, it's, like, a, it's like being a decathlete in a lot of ways because you cover the games. Yeah. And there's, a, you know, a whole bunch of them, 162 odd games. But in addition to that, you got to know every level of the minor league system and the prospects and how they're doing and who's hurt and who's coming up and how that might fill out at each level of the minors and how that's going to affect the majors. You have to understand the finances of it, the contracts, um, the stuff that goes into owning a franchise and running a stadium. You have to know a little bit about uh, medicine, you know, uh, just to understand injuries and how that whole thing works and how guys are hurt and how they get hurt and how that affects them. And now you got to know there's a lot of math and they promised me there would be no math, <laughs> but there's a <laughs> lot of math involved and a lot of physics. And uh, that's kind of cool. And it's, you write features and you write game stories and you write analysis pieces and you're talking with players and coaches and managers and agents and and families and minor leaguers and in some cases even high schoolers or college guys who might someday be drafted so there's a whole lot of 
stuff. And I kind of thought, you know, if you can do that, you can do freaking anything in this business. For me, that for me, that was my Everest. Can I do all of that and do it well enough that they don't run me out of town after a couple of seasons? And um, so once I got into it, I mean, it's exhausting and it's at times mind numbing. And there's a lot of standing around and waiting and a lot of minutia that goes into it. Who has a blister on his finger? Who's ankle is sore oh no who's going to be the you know eighth guy in the bullpen uh, but there's just a lot of balls you got to keep in the air juggling at the same time and once you get into it it's fascinating and all-consuming and i love it did you know all of that was part of it when you like in, in baseball year two of covering it for you right mm -hmm. did you know all that stuff was part of it or when did you realize how much was involved in it and you had to be a decathlete? Yeah, I, I kind of knew right away. I mean, my first couple of seasons covering ball at the Trib, I was uh, the backup for Joe Rudder, who was the main beat guy. And at that point, the Trib really had just expanded and was, was really covering the team on a daily basis. I mean, I think, you know, for a number of reasons before that, they didn't cover road games or stuff like that. But at this point, they, they were. They had expanded to wall-to-wall -wall coverage and so i saw what joe was doing every day and being the backup guy you know i just basically filled in on a few road trips i ended up doing maybe like 60 to 80 games a year um so i kind of had a taste of it but i didn't have the full bore responsibility for a lot of it and that was kind of cool so i you know i, I was able to kind of ease into it a little bit and then you know usually by the time the pirates were really really out of it there as the summer waned that would be when college football would pick up and I would just say, you know, sorry, Joe, I'm going to leave <laughs> and leave him to finish out the season. So I knew it was there, um, but really it's not until you like get, you know, knee to hip deep in it and really start thinking about it. And, 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 and you're building contacts, not just for this season or next season, but in some cases for five or 10 years down the line, you know, um, that's that's you know that's all, when that comes together like that. That's really the neat the neat part of it. Yeah, because it's the context for me. I mean, it just you can tell the difference between the people who've been there a while, or just how much easier it is for you to know who to call right mm -hmm. off the bat, as opposed to somebody else wondering, well, shit, who should I call, or, or waiting the next day to see who beat them with whoever it was they called. Yeah, and and, and there's stuff like just the other day I wrote something in a story, um, uh, something about spring training, and, and everybody knows that you, you, you kind of look at spring training with you know, from a, with arm's length, you, you don't really, the numbers aren't indicative necessarily of what a guy's ability is because they're working on stuff or trying stuff out or, or, or maybe, you know, there's a guy that hit, that, that hit, you know, 360 or whatever in spring training this year for the Pirates. But we look at the pitchers he faced, a lot of them were double A caliber kind of guys. And I was able to think back when I was writing a story to something, you know, to an example with A.J. Burnett in a game you know, 10 years ago, I remember one time in spring training, he was working on on something and he wasn't going to throw any curveballs. He was just working on the fastball. And that game, they just lit him up on his fastball and he like stomped off the mound. And, and like you could just kind of see it in his face because, you, you, you know, AJ, he's a he's a little bit of a fiery guy. Walked up back on the hill and boom, 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 three curveballs end of the inning. And, you know, came off the mound, you know, mound after the game. I said, I thought you weren't going to work on the curveball. He goes, enough of that. I don't know if I can get away. Enough of that crap. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to get out of that darn inning. So, 
you, you think of something like that where, you know, it, I was able to use it here a decade later, just having that kind of experience behind you really pays off. Yeah, it just seems like that experience. Go ahead, Darren, sorry. You're good. I, I feel like I, I had I had two summers where I covered the curve in Altoona uh, mm -hmm. with Corey Geiger. And uh, I learned a lot. And I think the thing that I learned the most there is is the establishment of relationships and, and how those can really grow. Um, yeah. Does that make your job easier or does that make your job harder when you have to, like, especially with a guy mm -hmm. like, let's take AJ Burnett, perfect example, fiery guy, mm -hmm. fiery personality, mm -hmm. might have to write something tough about him. And it, it's, I found it was harder in baseball. I don't know if you feel that way. Yeah, no, it, it is. It, it, it can be, it can be difficult. Um, I think there are a lot of guys that, that understand what we do or that sometimes, you know, they're going to pitch like crap. And we're going to have to write about it. Uh, and there are guys that understand that that I never pitched. Like for example, I never pitched, so I really don't understand the whole physics, the mechanics of pitching. So I and I let guys know that, and I find that when I do that, they're usually more open. And I say, you know, talk to me like I'm a three year old about pitching, and, I, and it works out. Um, and then the other day, I was talking with a pitcher, and he was telling me how he was putting something new in his arsenal, but he kind of did it on his own at first. And he didn't, he wanted to see how it worked. And then he'd go to the pitching coach and say, hey, you know, let's keep this, you know, you know, that you think this will work. So he's telling me all this. And then I go out and I'm saying, wow, that's something I could do for another day. That's a decent story idea. And then he comes back to me later and says, hey, I, you know, all that stuff I told you, could you just not write that right now? Because, you know, I really haven't met with them yet. And I don't want them to read something in the paper. Well, he said the paper, but online tomorrow. And and be like, where the hell is this coming from? You know, so I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 it was great that he understood how I was going to write that because it was interesting. But I also understood that I didn't want to burn that bridge and, and, and get him in trouble potentially with the pitching coach and the manager. So I said, yeah, just, you know, let's see how this goes. I'll circle back in a week or two. You know, if it's worked out, if it's in your arsenal, then great, I'll write about it. If not, you know, that's just, just something that, you know, he taught me a little bit about the game and how it works and how, you know, somewhere down the line that'll pay off for me. Um, kind of shifting away from that a little bit um, with, with going back to kind of how long baseball season is, I, I have mm. two quite line of questions that I'd like to, to ask. The first is how do you stay engaged and how <laughs> yeah. do you stay, make sure that the audience stays engaged with your, your stuff? It had excellent questions, and and it's it can be difficult. I'm not gonna lie, especially for a team that you know, like these last two years, lurching toward hundred lost seasons, you know. And it, it, having done this now, you know, for thirty years, I've written. I you know, there's a lot of times I'll, I'll like I've written this story before. I've written this story four times before about the guy that the Pirates bring in. And this is going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy. This is going to be the prospect that changes everything, whether it's Jermaine Allensworth or Chris Benson or, you know, you can just go back. And I've written these stories a million times. And the challenge is, is, is finding a new, a better, a more entertaining, a more nuanced, a more analytical, whatever it's going to be, some different way of writing it and presenting it. And that way, I keep myself engaged <laughs> and hopefully the people that are reading it, if there are people who remember that story that I wrote 20 years ago, 
they can say, hey, this one's a little bit different and maybe better or maybe more entertaining or whatever. And that'd be great. Um, keeping fans engaged, boy, that's the secret sauce. And everybody is looking for it, whether you're at the New York Times, The Athletic, the Philly Inquirer, you know, Penn Live, doesn't matter. Everybody wants to know. Everybody looks at their engagement numbers. Everybody looks at, you know, in, in my case, how many I can see how many subscriptions my stories generate to the athletic. Um, you you can look at you know, see how many comments you get. Uh, you can we can gauge how far down in the story somebody reads, and that'll affect you know maybe the length of a story sometimes. So many things go into it, and nobody really has that formula. Everybody's been talking about it forever. And there's been, you know, Steve, you, you know, saw some of this at the Trib too. There would be, you know, we'd pivot to video and everybody started putting little videos in their stories. And then we realized nobody's watching these little videos. They're just annoying. They pop up in your story and people, that's when people close the story online is when that video pops up in the middle of it. Or so you would pivot to, pivot to audio interviews or put in charts and graphs or all these different things. At the end of the day, I think, is it a good? Is it a good yarn? Is it a good story? Is it interesting? Is it going to spark an emotion in you? You know, is it going to make you think? And those stories are tough, and they're few and far between. Um, but when you get one, you know, it's or when you get a big scoop, you know, it, it's better than sex, man. <laughs> you know, and that's <laughs> what gets people involved, and it gets them reading, and it gets them to come back. You can see just subscriptions your stories generate like the other yeah. things you round mm -hmm. off makes sense so how do how do those dots connect in terms of the analytics you know and i, I i'm not i'm not wise enough really to know because i i know it at the, at the athletic and, and at the trib and i'm assuming other outlets as well they tweak their you know their mechanics of gauging all that and what goes into the you know the formula for that um so I really, you know, I don't know. I, I think it all depends upon what they think because they can weigh it with what they think is important at the time, mm -hmm. whether it's just simple page views. And then is it a page view by a subscriber or a page view by somebody who came in through a link off Twitter who doesn't have a subscription mm -hmm. yet? Um, there's just so many different variables. And, you know, it's difficult sometimes because you want to serve all those audiences, all those, you know, you want to engage all those different ways. But, it, you know, it's, you know, very rare to come up with a story that's going to do boom, 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 boom. You know, usually you can hit one or two or three of those key areas. You're doing well. Now you're never going to hit all the facets at once in one story. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. What have you had stories you thought that were going to hit and resonate or and didn't, or other ones that you thought, oh God, I'm just getting this damn thing out. And next thing you know, people love yeah. it. Yeah. You know, there was a story I did. Uh, it ran on New Year's Day this year, and it was like I was on vacation through, through half of December, and I sent an email to Jim Bowden, who is a uh, you know, former general manager uh, in different places, and he now writes for us, and he's, a, you know, and he's a former GM, so he has a good sense of what's going on, still knows everybody in the industry, uh, and that's one thing you'll find that when you cover ball or when you're around baseball, it is a, just a very it never changes, you know, it, it might expand a little bit, but there's always that core group of people you will always come across. So Jim knows everybody and that's fantastic. So I said to him, Hey, let's throw out some potential Brian Reynolds trades. 
And I'll say, you know, I'll ask people, I'll ask the readers, who would you want to get if you if your team traded for Brian Reynolds? And I'll give you 10 of the, these ideas from the readers. You break them down. I give a little bit of background on it as well. And boom, it's a story. We'll run it on New Year's Day. People just want to read something that they can just kind of, you know, sit back and with all the clutter and leftover food and unwrapped papers to stall and just read something. So we did that. And I made sure that the first three items in the story, I think it was three, um, were all related to the New York Yankees. Uh, and so that went into the headline as well. Um, and that story, it, it just was a bomb. It, it was the most read story in our vertical, in the, in the MLB vertical on the athletic for like three or four days. Um, generated a bunch of subs and just got a massive, and here it was, I was just thinking, I'm just like, you know, this is like a little, mental gymnastics just kind of say here what kind of trade might work and what kind of players are involved and we weren't running on you know saying this is going to happen these guys we know have been we're kind of saying yeah we know there's interest and we know this is what the pirates are looking for so it's you know it's like to a degree educated guessing and it was also some just some old-fashioned analytics and jim called some gms and i called some people i know and between the two of us we came up with a pretty decent little story but I decided it'd be kind of a throwaway, here we are starting a new year kind of story. Yeah. And it really took off. And it was just a combination of it was just the right time that, you know, there weren't a, there wasn't a lot of news on that day in baseball. So this kind of like had a newsy feel to it. And again, um, the New York angle, um, you know, the, the look at the, through the comments section, you could hear the New York accent <laughs> when you're reading it, you know, and it, it's just like, whoa, yeah. So um, and I mean, my experience, Mets fans, much worse than Yankees fans, at least uh, in terms of just because, you know, I don't know if it's the. Well, we can, I, I can, it's, it's sort of like the, the, the pit thing, you know, it's like little brother, you know, it was the most annoying. So that's how I, you know, when you talk to the Mets fans, I think they have, a, you know, they, they've had enough of the Yankees and it shows. I, I wanted to ask about Pirates fans. I think mm -hmm. I think there's a self-awareness to most Pirates fans, but within the city of Pittsburgh, especially, it, it still feels like the Pirates, even though attendance might not be there, like it's people like to talk about the Pirates still. Like, I think it's, it, maybe it's just because there's nothing else going on and people are still waiting for football season, you know, come June, July. Um, <laughs> but I guess for you, do you, do you feel that sense of community that, that the Pirates fans maybe often have am i projecting that or is there something really there and, and do you think that's one of the reasons why baseball will always kind of hang around and maybe never succeed in pittsburgh but maybe always hang around in pittsburgh it's a good question and you know i've gone back and forth about this over the years um there's a lot of different kinds of fans baseball fans in pittsburgh there's a big chunk of people one of my rules when I worked for the Trib, my personal rules was you can never write too much about Andrew McCutcheon because everybody knew who Andrew was. And any story or headline or photo that ran with a story that had Kutch in it was going to get read. People were going to react to it. They may not even follow baseball. Oh, they know Kutch. You know Kutch. He just, you know, he has that it factor. Um, but if I write a story about, you know, somebody, you know, the third baseman at the time, you know, or somebody that nobody knows. There's a sliver of hardcore fans 
there are a sliver of people who dress up like actual pirates and go to games. <laughs> There's a decent group of people who have season tickets or just are pretty interested in baseball. And then there's a huge chunk of people who, are we going to Kennywood tonight or are we can go to the Pirates game? Well, I'll go to Pirates game. And, you know, it's probably like that in other cities as well. There's a big, you know, big, big swath of casual fans. I'm interested now watching baseball kind of wrestle for the soul of the people who are the casual fans. And they're doing that by changing the rules. Um, and I think it's honking off people who are the more diehard, old-timey kind of fans. But it's also winning over some of the people, like, you know, the let the kids play thing. You know, a lot of people like that. And I think it's good because it, it puts some life in, in what can be a slow-moving game. But they put in a lot of rule changes now, the shift, the pitch clock, the you know, replay. Blah, blah, blah. And it, it is going to speed up the game. Yeah, because we saw it. I mean, I remember, you know, last year I'd go to cover a game in Altoona where they had the pitch clock and anything. I'd be walking out of there before the sun went down. And it was, you know, I'd want to hug John Moses, the, the, the PR guy. Just, Thank you for getting me out of here, man. Um, meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, they're still slogging along in the fifth inning, you know. Um, so the, the rule changes in that is going to speed up the game. But it's also, I remember years ago, my wife and I took my, our daughters to a game and there was a, uh, a replay review. And there was a challenge in the replay review. And my older daughter, Julia, was like, what are they doing? And my wife, Denise, was in the kitchen there. was like, yeah, what, what's going on? And I was explaining, well, you get a replay challenge and you get to review it. And they have this amount of time and they got to do this. And, and I could tell my, my daughter's attention span was just like, yeah, whatever, dad. I'm going to go back to you know, whatever I was doing, eating a peanut or whatever. And I think you risk that losing the game like by changing it you know at its core you risk making it something different and it might be faster it might be quicker paced or whatever but it's going to just feel like you know you got to know now okay well so where can the enter the outfitter has can't stand here and the infielder can't go past this line and now you know and now if we have a review and, and, and if the batter comes out of the box or the batter has seven Second, I don't even know all the, these things like the, how long the batter has to be engaged with the pitcher. The pitcher is ready to go where it's a called strike or you just people don't want to sit there and, you know, have a rule book to memorize. They know what baseball is. They just want to see baseball. And I think if you get too funky with it, you're going to marginalize your audience. And, you know, people like football. Why? Because you got a, a few seconds of you know, ultra, ultra violence <laughs> going on, you know, and then there's a break and then everybody goes out and does it again and just smacks somebody as hard as they can. You know, when you, what happens when the NFL changes the rules and if you breathe on a quarterback, it's a 15 yard penalty or whatever, people start to disengage a little bit. I think you're going to see that in baseball. I think baseball has to be careful that it doesn't drift too far from what it has always been and you know maybe i'm old man shouting at cloud here but you know the version of the game in 1915 isn't real all that much different than, than what it is now but if you really start to mess with that at its core significantly irrevocably it's a different game that is that is actually one of the more interesting takes i have heard on 
the pitch clock and all those changes mm-hmm. that are coming to the game. Um, so that, that was interesting. I, Steve and I have actually, we, we've discussed role changes a little bit. We, that's part of our, our shtick every week as we discuss <laughs> those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you think for a team like the pirates that those roles benefit the casual fan more often or do you think is it's more people are still going to go to the baseball game because it's a great ballpark and it's something to do instead of going to kennywood for the 20th time (laughs) well it's interesting the other day i talked uh, to travis williams who's the team president and it was the first time travis met with all the all the beat guys um it's the first time he had met with us in two years um and he's the president of the team. The guy he, who had the gig before him was Frank Coonley, who worked for MLB as a, basically their labor attorney, their, their shark. He would go into arbitration meetings and just hammer down the player and the agent and win those cases for the teams. A very sharp guy, opinionated guy, knew the nuts and bolts of baseball. Uh, Travis worked for the Penguins um, played basketball. I'm pretty sure he grew up in Indiana. Um, you know, knows baseball, likes baseball. Not a baseball guy. I mean, you know, there's just a, you know, whether it's a, a mood or an attitude, whatever. And he talked for the half hour that he and I sat there and talked. We talked about cash or cashless, you know, kiosks to, to get food. We talked about the, he talked about the entrance having uh, security at the gates being quicker as you can walk through. He talked about putting little posters and, and, and whatnot banners about the, pre, the team's history around the concourse. Uh, talked about the different food and, and vendor items and whatnot. And I was like, what about the game? What about the ball game? <laughs> what about the, the, the pitching and hitting part of it? And he's like, well, yeah, he's, he's in charge of baseball operations. But he's like, really, I got the sense his gig is fan experience. You know, he said, you can basically, I, I'm going to paraphrase him, but I remember the exact quote. It was like, you can overcome a, a bad outcome on the field with a good fan experience. And I was like, ooh, um, yeah. I mean, the baseball purist in me was like, no, you know, you, you win the game. That's why you play the game. You know, you don't play to have a good season and, and be entertaining necessarily. You want to do that, of course, but you want to win the freaking World Series. If you don't, in my view, if you don't win the World Series, well, then your season you know, it was kind of a failure. You know, maybe you won a bunch of games, maybe you finished second, maybe you won a wild card berth or whatever. If you don't win the World Series, well, try again next year. And every owner knows this when they buy a team, when they run a team, they know what the economics of the game are. They know how things are structured. And it comes down to that owner, you know, what do you want to do? Do you run it like a business where you can be efficient and you can make money uh, and, 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 and not have financial problems? Like, you know, the, the pirates at one point had to trade off players because they couldn't meet their, their payroll. Do you want to avoid that, but never, ever, ever win? Okay. Um, it, you know, it, it's difficult. I think I've probably veered off course from what you originally asked, but I just, there's a lot that, again, that goes back to that there's a lot that goes into this game. And some of it is the intent of ownership and management. What are they trying to do? What do they believe in their heart of hearts? No, I was, I was heading in that direction. So you, you, <laughs> okay. you, you're good. You're good. Um, do you feel, I guess, 
in your writing, mm-hmm. I would say, I don't want to like put a number on it, but let's say 25% of your stories are positive, we'll call it. And then mm-hmm. 75% are the, pir- <laughs> the, the Pittsburgh Pirates are the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that from your perspective, an ownership change would revitalize this organization or is it is it more so, you know, mm. it might just be that way forever? Um. I mean, well, you know, they are in a, in a tough spot because, you know, with, you know, I, I hate to use the term small market, but they are. I mean, look, it's Pittsburgh, but it's kind of the same size as Milwaukee or St. Louis. And those teams have done well, you know, particularly St. Louis more so than Milwaukee, but, you know, they've done well. You can do it. You can get it done. And I think that's, I think ownership now, Bob Nutting wants, you know, he wants to win. But he wants to win on his terms with his plan. And that means, you know, it's a measured, cautious at times approach. Okay, that's how he chooses to run the team. And as a fan, would I like to see him, you know, go out and spend all kind of money and, 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 and get all kind of, you know, get superstar players? Well, well, sure. But can you sustain that? Probably not. So then you have a, you know, like we saw with the Marlins, you know, the, the, they're on the mountaintop and then they're, crashing and burning a year later or whatever, you know, you know, I I think the one thing people say, what is an MLB run Bob Nutting out of town? MLB loves what Bob Nutting is doing. You know, when, when there was a stretch, I mean, and this is by no means a criticism of Kevin McClatchy, the former owner of the pirates. He was a great guy. He sincerely wanted to win but he didn't have good people around him, didn't have good baseball people around him, management people. And the finances were not good. And, and, and some, of the, the, you know, some of his money people began to pull out. Things got dicey. Bob came in, took over, essentially took over control of the franchise and said, look, we're going to get that debt to equity ratio set. We're going to put ourselves in a position where we're paying off debt for this, for this team, you know, for the ballpark and for the improvements and whatnot. And we're going to put it on a sound financial footing. And it's going to be a little painful because we're not going to have great players. We might never have great players, you know, a ton of them coming in, but that's how we're going to do it. And we have a plan where we need a lot of planets to line up and, and dancing unicorns and, and, and leprechauns to fall from the sky at the same time for this team to win a World Series. That might happen at some point. But if it doesn't, we're still going to put, you know, an entertaining product out there and be financially stable. We're not going to make waves. We're not going to be an embarrassment organization. We have a lot of scandals or stuff like that necessarily. So, you know, MLB is, you know, you look at the franchise and it's stable. It's not sexy, but it's stable. Is, is Pittsburgh a baseball town? People are going to hate me, but I don't think it is. No. I, don't think I just, I mean, yeah. other places I've been, we went on our honeymoon, we stopped in Baltimore last, last series at Memorial Stadium, mm-hmm. and the people were just in the game more than I had yeah. ever, than I had seen Pirates fans at that time, right? And even yeah. now, you know, it's not like, I know it's different, but I don't, I don't feel people are going there and busting out a scorebook or worried about, mm-hmm. worried about what's going on. They're like, oh, cool. I can see the skyline. It's a great ballpark. Going to get a sandwich and, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. I, I, I just... No criticism. I mean, I've, I've suffered as, a, as mm-hmm. a, a fan, but I'm not as engaged as some others, but I just didn't know 
do 30 years of it, what you thought. So yeah, I, I used to think it was a good ball ball town. And but now, yeah, you're right. I think some of it is that they've been just people been ground down um mm-hmm. by you know going on now a half century without a world series. Um people and there's just so many other things out there, and there's so many other distractions. Everybody, you know, everybody brings a phone to the ball game. And everybody spends, I bring a phone to the ball game and I spend time on my phone <laughs> on the ball game. So there's just so much else. And I, yeah, I, I, it just doesn't have the same feel to me. Like when you go to St. Louis, I mean, everybody rags on Cardinals fans, you know, best fans in baseball. But they, I mean, we were there last year for opening day and it really was, I mean, I woke up, whatever it was like, you know, seven in the morning or whatever. There are already people lined up waiting for that little, swath of, of tickets they held back for opening day line like hundreds of people lined up mm-hmm. um and yes i mean they, the cardinals have molina and you know pool holes and, and everything else but i you know i'm going to go to cincinnati this week to see they have a per you know, like i guess they still do they still do the parade there for opening day they used to whenever you know the reds used to be the yeah. first game yeah. just a different feel sometimes uh, and I'm not saying it's, you know, it's not good or bad. I mean, you know, but it's just different than like if I'll go to Colorado or Arizona or Miami or Tampa, you know, <laughs> Pittsburgh is better than that. But um, is it, you know, is it the Bronx? Is it, is it Philly? No, there's people in Philly, man, they'll rip your heart out. And be happy to do it too. And be happy to do it. <laughs> They'll sing a song to you as they do it. How has your baseball, uh, your baseball career as covering baseball freed you up to be a Penn State fan for football? Like, has it? I mean, I'm curious if being able to get away from football and do this has changed your fandom or affected your fandom for Penn State. Well, it was, you know, it's funny though, that the years that I covered Penn State football, uh, it was re- you know, it, it, when I first started, there were some really good years. And then as you're aware, it got challenging. <laughs> <laughs> You know, for for Joe uh, Paterno and for, and for the people around the program and the fans and everything, and those were hard years to cover um, in a lot of ways. And you, I, I think I was able to kind of remove myself from being an alum to to stand back and look at that program. And I'm also, and I admit too now, you know, I'm, I'm a Paterno guy. I believed in what he was doing and how he was doing it. Um, but you know, those last few years you look back and, you know, there were times where Joe was just openly combative with, with the, you know, the media mm-hmm. and, um, or his wife would sit there, you know, Supa would sit in, in the room and be openly combative with us as well. And that was kind of hard to, you know, that was like, Hey, don't, you know, don't lie to me about stuff. Don't, you know, bullshit me anymore. Um, so it's nice now that I'm full-time baseball guy, that I can just go back to being a college football fan just out, out and out, you know, I don't, I don't do any coverage of college football. I don't ask to do it. I don't want any part of it. I can just sit back and watch the games. And um, it's been great. I mean, you know, it's, I remember a few years ago, I was in Denver for a series with the pirates and uh, I told my wife I was getting tickets, but I guess she heard tickets and I heard myself say season tickets there was a little disconnect there. And I was on the phone with her. I remember I'm sitting there in the food room, talking to her on the phone. She's, hey, the thing showed up today. She's, I think they sent you too many tickets. <laughs> I was like, well, how many do we get? And she says, there's two for every game. I'm like, no, that, that's right. So uh, 
so that's been it's been nice and it, it's you know it, i'm just more of a fan of the college game than the pro game in general um so for me i mean that's just you know it, it's great the seasons there's a little bit of overlap there um sometimes it, it works out sometimes i gotta miss a game the past couple of years it's worked out really well that i haven't like i think this year as well um the pirates will be on the road and i won't be traveling to those games um anyway whenever the uh when Penn State's at home for like the West Virginia game and a couple others mm-hmm. at the start. So that's nice. Um, but yeah, and, and for me, it's a nice way to break away from baseball, even if it's just for a Saturday in September, yep. just to forget about the carnage I had seen <laughs> <laughs> on the North Shore the night before. That's uh, fair. Very that's, cool. Thank you. That's good. All right, Rob. Uh, I'm out of questions. But I have three more questions. Sorry. Right. Uh, so, but they're quick ones. We do this with every guest that comes on the show. That's a Penn mm. Stater specifically. Mm. Uh, they're very quick answers. Mm. That's all we need. You are back in State College for one night and one night only. What bar are you walking into? Shandy Gaff. Okay. Steve. Steve is also a Gaff kind of guy. Well, that's our. That, it's something that's about your. I was gonna say. I, as I say, this is your era of of Penn Staters. Everyone we have from like your age range usually says the gaff so oh okay yeah yeah i I mean i could have said well i really go to the g-man much and the surf club no longer exists and uh then again you know there's just you know the g-man for that matter um although lately you know my wife and i we like to go to local whiskey because there's other that's like all you know 50 year old alumni drinking expensive brown liquids um (laughs) and that you know that's fantastic so shout out to those guys they do a good job okay cool uh what is the what was your dorm in college like what was your go-to food commons at penn state uh well in in the day i had no choice i was uh i was in snyder hall okay uh, in in east halls so i ate at finlay commons and uh if you're gonna ask yes chicken cosmos when the day they took away the chicken cosmo just a terrible terrible day for penn state food items People, people mark that day and the day that they switched from Coke to Pepsi is like the two <laughs> worst days at Penn State. Yeah. I mean, both of my daughters went there and they, you know, they went, well, they just graduated within the past few, couple of three years. And so they're like, you know, I, I'm still going to stand this whole thing. If you can go to any dining hall you want, anytime you want, you can live off campus, go to the, it's fantastic. I wish they would have had that back in the day. But um, no, for me, Dining Hall D, Finlay Dining Hall Commons. Okay. Uh, and your go-to creamery ice cream flavor? Bittersweet mint. And we're going to win this year. <laughs> I saw your tweets this morning about this. I, so. I just voted today uh, against my number two. It's going to be a fantastic matchup. I want to see bittersweet mint and grilled stickies in the final. Um, you know, although, you know, whiteout, very underrated, I think, as a, as a creamery flavor. Um, it's just something about it. It's almost like popcorn-y but it's fantastic the first time i had had i had it i was like this is going to be weird and it it instantly became a top three creamery flavor for me i mm-hmm. think it's i think it's delicious yeah it's, it's fantastic yeah. so then yeah. the stickies that's like a no-brainer yeah um so thank god that you know they, they they're still keeping that going now that the diner is i don't even know what the diner is now but it was a sad day when the diner went down. Another sad day. You got um, all kinds of food yeah, sad days. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I don't know. What the heck? So, hey, if I, if I can get on my high horse, too, for just one moment on my soapbox, and if folks are listening, and I assume you're going to have, like, a lot of comms people listening, um, if you get an email from the Collegiate AIG, 
click on the on the petition, send a note to President Benaputi about restoring some of the funding for the collegian. Yep. Um, a 50% cut is outrageous and uncalled for. It just seems to me like, you know, for years I thought the university kind of had it out for the collegian. Uh, you know, it goes back to decades ago when they banned the advertising for bars because it was unwholesome for the children, I guess, or whatever. But that, you know, that crippled the collegian financially for a few years. These cuts will be just as bad. Yeah. So let her know that, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's do the right thing. And, and maybe, you know, I understand cuts have to be made, but 50% is hard to swallow. Yeah, I, uh, I have some thoughts about that too as well, Rob. So I'm <laughs> glad that uh, we're on the same page there. Um, all right. Well, thank you for your time. Is there anything you, that you would like to plug before you say farewell to our guests? Get some subscriptions, yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we well, want yeah. credit for these subscriptions. I could mention that we we do have, we're running our, our opening day sale right now where it's uh, new subscribers go for a dollar a month for 12 months, which is pennies That's a day. Insane. That's that's less than you spend on one third of a gallon of gas. Think about it that way, which is kind of crazy. But um, but yeah, so if you, you know, you can, you can, uh, you know, the, the athletic put my girls through college and that's great. And now they're out there in the real world. And uh, hopefully the athletic will fund my, my wife. So yeah, we'll, we'll fund our retirement. <laughs> so, you, so you don't have to watch Pirates baseball anymore. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Coming up fast, man. Uh, all right. Well, hey, seriously, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Um, be sure oh, to check hey, out man. all of all of Rob's stuff on the Athletic. I read pretty much everything that he puts out. Uh, You're the I'm one. A, yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. Exactly. <laughs> they suffer, um, as, uh, as I would like to say. So, uh, <laughs> Steve, um, I, it's it's funny to me. This is now what the third or fourth guest that we've had on, and they say the gaff, and I, I do. You, what is it like? Maybe it's just because I don't like the smell of cigarette smoke. And that's well, he had he had he had the surf club on his list too, which is interesting to me. Where um, was that at? I have never heard was of the surf club. The dark horse, right? And off of Calderway, the backside of Calderway. Ah, okay, okay. The surf club was the, and I think I, we talked about this before, but well, at least I've talked. Maybe not you. Surf club was five cent wings, so we would go there for five cent wings to surf club, and that's then we would go to the gaff, right? And the gaff music, I think, is still pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, so it was. Might have been the only bar you had to go up steps to, which maybe that makes it different. Makes it different, right? It just feels like a different experience. Um, I mean, it's like that all. It's, it's like it is now, though. I mean, I guess last time I was there in a prime time was a couple of years ago. But you were crawling over people, getting in the tables, um, sing along stuff, um, and, and a lot of the bars are that way, right? It's the Penn, the Penn State thing where you share an experience, right? You share some music, you share some fun, and, and that's all. This dispersed place comes and shares something, which is kind of the nice part about going out. So. And I don't know why it isn't that age group. Maybe there weren't as many. I mean, there was the Scorpion, which was really like heavy metal, harder kind of stuff. The brewery was kind of there. Um, the brewery is always there. That's that's right, still right. right. So I think I think that's yeah. maybe my answer to that question. But I, I don't know. I, I'd have to. It's either that or the first. Um, okay. Anyways, back to Rob. More more importantly, um, fascinating that somebody that switched switched from football to baseball. Um, I feel like. 99% of the time you almost hear the other way because mm -hmm. it's just like football is a lot easier to cover in terms of it not taking up, you know, from quite literally like last month all the way till October 
um, depending on how good your team is. Um, but I think it was a really good insight on kind of the state of a Pirates fan and, and kind of how he approaches it. Um, I think he did a nice job of explaining the, the not contradictions of, of Bob Nutting, but the, the thought process of, of Bob Nutting and, and maybe how that is. Yeah. He's, he's not doing a, a great job for the fan, but in terms of running a business, he's actually not doing too bad. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, I think the, the other question that you asked, which was great is, is Pittsburgh a baseball town? And he said, no, not really. Like that kind of surprised me because I think at least in my mind, a lot of people think that Pittsburgh is still a baseball town, even over the Steelers. Like it, or maybe it hmm. switches. I don't know. I, I, I think at least again, going back to old guys, I think amongst people in your generation, that is the biggest remember when is remember when the pirates were good. And, and that's maybe that's something that really, we only have three years of experiencing in my lifetime. So that's, yeah. And I don't even know if they were really, when they were really good, they were, if they were, and again, three rivers was a tough place to sell out for anything. Right. So I don't know, even when they were really good, it was a baseball town. It was a a football town that enjoyed, enjoyed some baseball success in the off season. Um, And I wasn't there then, but, you know, kind of picking through it through the years after. No, I didn't know what he was going to say, but I was just intrigued because I haven't had somebody who'd been covering the pirates 30 years to really ask that too. So it's interesting to hear. And, and in his process and stuff, I, I thought, good stuff. So I'm glad, glad he made time. Um, hopefully we, do, we get some commission off all the subscribers that we, we although let's be honest. Our last athletic visitor, our last athletic guest generated a subscription from a podcast listener. I do know that. Well, all right. Well, look at that. Um, where was I going with that? Um, I don't know. I, I, I am always interested to hear it. Cause I think that's the other thing then was kind of keeping people's attention. Um, that's gotta be the most difficult mm-hmm. job of, of that or part of that job, because even I who watches probably 40 to 50 pirates games a year struggle with that come even July, August, September, like it, September it's football season. Um, so I thought that was, in, I thought that was interesting to hear. Um, Anything else you want to add there? No, sir. I'm good. Um, bear with me one second. Uh, this week's old guy, young guy, Steve. I want to know. We're not. We're not going to get into the Wawa sheets debate, but I want to know if you are buying a sub. Are you buying it toasted or untoasted? Not toasted. Not toasted. You like your your hoagies cold. Yep. Are Didn't you even know toasted was a thing until like I don't know when. Well, those were grinders, I guess. I think when I when I was in college, it was a grinder if it was toasted. It was a hoagie if it wasn't, hmm. I think. This is interesting. Um, because like to me, when I go to Wawa or Sheets or Wegmans, like I want them to warm the sub up a little bit. Uh, but no, I'm not you a warm were, sub guy. No. You, okay. Um, just, it's just a cold sandwich in a different shape presentation. Okay. What is, your, what is your go-to sub order? Um, and do you like Wegman subs? Let me ask you there. Let me, before you give me your sub. No, CC peppers for me used Ah. to be, they're not as open as much anymore. At least they had a COVID thing where it was like, they were really with the mask till late. And I showed up once and didn't like have a mask and I'm in the parking lot. I'm like, okay, not going in. Like, so, um, so I don't know best sub in town. I know Jersey Mike's this week because they support pink zone. So I don't know when this podcast goes out, but if we get it out before Wednesday, a hundred percent of their stuff goes to pink zone. So knock yourself out. Or goes to Washington State College and I'll tune there. Yes, I think so. Um, 
so maybe maybe i still think cc peppers for cold actually um brothers pizza the brothers pizzas in stormstown and port matilda make good subs and it, so does the one in north in the giant north north giant plaza in north african that's that was to say i feel like it's the college brothers pizza is the one that i always hear hear the name the most um there's a place in altoona that I, I don't know if it's still open. It closed for a while and then maybe reopened. Uh, it's Maccabees subs. And they've got this very delicious like dressing that it's, it's really probably just like olive oil and, and vinegar, but it's, it's very good. And you know what else that I think we, we've never really discussed this, but this is a very regional thing. Mariana's hoagies. I, there's, there's nothing like if you want a cold hoagie, that is my like, get me a Mariana's hoagie or the white pizza. Well, I th I'm, I'm waiting. Hopefully a listener has stuck with us this later. Maybe Bev Summers knows the answer because yes. she's the only one who's sticking with us this late. Marianas has changed from when our kids did fundraising and how they the, the stuff was presented looked one way. Now there's another group down there. Is it Bonanza Subs or something like that? It looks like it's an offshoot of them or like somebody who was mm -hmm. with them before doing And their packaging, when you buy them as a fundraiser, I bought it from somebody last year, looks a lot like Marianas used to look. Like mm -hmm. with the little packages for the, the, mm -hmm. the shredded lettuce and the tomato, Marianas has changed its packaging the past few years for what it does. I don't think they're any less, but any less quality. It's just different. And somebody else is using that other stuff. So down in Altoona, it looks like there's rival or different, two different options for your fundraising. I, I, I need to, I'll, I'll investigate this. Um, I will say the game, the biggest game changer has been, because you could really only get the white pizza either if the park was open or if somebody was doing the fundraiser. However, now on Saturdays and Sundays and maybe Fridays, Del Grosso has like a kitchen that you can pull up to and, and regardless if the park is open, you can buy your, your sub and hoagie um, and it's delicious. So interesting. And it's not, it's not, it's powerhouse subs. Is the powerhouse thing subs. Okay. You know what? I have heard of this. Now that you say this, I have heard of this one. So yeah, I'll have so to take you. a look at okay. Look at us. We have, we have just pimped about every sub there is in town. So if anybody's still listening to this point, We'll be glad to do our. We room. will. We will take some sub nil dollars. Exactly. And, exactly. And use that. Um, okay. Thank you to Rob for joining us. That was a great conversation. Uh, thanks to Steve for sticking around. I know this is a longer episode for us, but uh, if you made it to this point, thank you for listening. Um, in the meantime, we've got a website. It's stuffsummersays.com. Uh, on that website, there is a segment or a, a, a section called with Steve. There we go. Steve, you have an email. You're paying attention this week. You have an email. It is what? It's Steve at StuffSummerSays.com. There we go. My email, Darian at StuffSummerSays.com. We also have a podcast email, which is just podcast at StuffSummerSays.com. We have a podcast, which you just listened to. Um, and in that podcast, when you're done listening to it, you can give it thumbs up, five stars, uh, all of that. We have uh, made some back-end decisions without telling steve that we are now on some more net podcast networks so i think we're on google now or we were on google i think we're on amazon and maybe one other um other than that with twitter handles my twitter handle is at stuff summer says steve's yours is at steve samsel anything else oh thank you very much that's great good talk to you next week yeah all right Goodbye.